0: So Jackie and I were missionaries for 22 years in Italy. We never saw that coming. Now I'm the general secretary of the IBC, never saw that coming. God prepared us all along the way, and that's going to be a a thread that runs through my message today. If there's one thing that we all have in common in this room is that we steward the church. It's not our church. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church. It was here probably before you came. Hopefully it'll still be here after you're gone. But in the meantime, the question we all need to ask ourselves is, what is God asking us to do for his church? And so this morning, I'd like to spend some time looking at these three verses that were read to us in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the life and longevity of the church. So I don't know if this is working or not, or so let me see, probably not, so... I'm just going to put that there, and I'm going to let you take us through. So the life of the church means that the church is alive and growing. The church is an organization, but it's also an organism. It's intended for growth. Jesus was here for three years working with his disciples. He was probably around for 33 years. You know, We don't know exactly, but relatively small window of time that the Son of God spent time on this earth. And then when he was here, he spent his time with a relatively small group of people, the majority of his time, and then some, some larger time with others. But we're still here today in the local church. We, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, are still here today because the church is an organism. It's alive and it grows. And that's the way that God designed it. It's also designed for long-term growth longevity means that it's not just around for your lifetime or my lifetime but the lifetime of our children and our grandchildren that's the way god designed his church and so as much as we may struggle at times with this idea of the church and a couple weeks ago i was in a church and somebody introduced me with the oh no stories and i said how many of you have oh no stories about the church We probably all have an oh-no story because being in the church where we're all working out our salvation, where we're growing in Christ, uh, we offend each other, right? We, We get criticized. There are things that happen that make it a struggle sometimes. But our struggles don't change the fact that God designed his church and that that design is for our good and for the good of the world that God put us in. It's for the gospel to arrive and people to come into the family and for them to grow as well. And this vision for the church isn't something that I always understood clearly in my life. This idea in Ephesians chapter 4 is something that I've come to understand over time. But I believe that it's foundational. And when we lean into God's design, then we can experience all the benefits that God placed in his church. Next slide, please. In 2019, the missionary era was coming to an end in Naples, Italy. Uh, In order to make this uh, maybe attractive, not attractive, that's probably a strong word to the Italians, I said, you know, raising for a missionary to pastor a church, it's like grandparents raising your grandchildren. You don't raise your children so that you can raise your grandchildren. Now, I know you're going to argue with me in some cultures that, that's not true, right? But you raise your children so that they can raise their own children. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a role as grandparents, right? But God's desire for the local church is that it become autonomous, self governing, and self. Uh, there are some other selves there that go along with what it means to be an autonomous local church. And so there was a phase of life, a, a period of time in which the missionaries' involvement. Was necessary to give birth to that church and to get the church to where it was, but it was not intended to be long term. And I think you can relate to this because you had a pastor, I I guess you've had six pastors, and one of them twice. Nathaniel texted yesterday. Bill was here for a long time, right? And, and you knew he wasn't going to be here forever, but you, you don't want to think about when he's not going to be here. And then his son was here. You probably figured he'd be here as long as his father was, right? And then God took him to Ohio. And now you're getting ready to call someone from the outside who you probably hope is going to be around for a while, right? But God designed his church for life and longevity, irregardless of the amount of time that Seth will be your pastor. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. God was good. He provided Danilo Bozza to become the pastor of our church in Naples. We went to Naples to work with a missionary that had a vision of, of working ourselves out of a job from day one. I grew up in, state, in the U.S. in churches that had been around for hundreds of years. I didn't know what it was like to plant a church. And maybe that's been your experience as well. And so our idea of churches is probably needs some help. And God helped me to see that working ourselves out of a job is actually what we were supposed to do as leaders. It's what church leaders ought to be doing. There's a, an economist in Italy in the last century named Val, Vilfredo Pareto. Next slide, please. And he developed a law of distribution that you may be familiar with. In time management, we say that 20% of our efforts produce 80% of the results. Have you ever heard of that? So we use this Pareto principle in different places in life. And what Pareto uh, observed in Italy was that the wealth in Italy was in the hands of 20% of the people. And so this law distribution said that then the, through these 20%, eventually the wealth will trickle out to the rest of the population. Now, I don't know how well that worked. I have my doubts. But often in the church, we have a similar dynamic. We say that 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. Or even worse, 10% do 90%. That's not God's desire for the church. That law of distribution is not God's intention for us and for his church. He designed his church to be full of life and to last for generations. And so the question that we'll wrestle with this morning is who's responsible for the growth of the church? Who's responsible for the growth of the church? And the first part of the answer is that God came, Christ came, and he gave gifted ministers to his church. Next slide. And so we saw in in Ephesians 4 verse 11 that Jesus came and he gave to his church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And pastor, teacher may be one role. But the, the point is, these are pretty impressive sounding roles, right? In the church. And so you say, well, why? Why did he give them to the church? And Paul tells us in verse 12, He did this to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, to build up the body of Christ. So who's responsible for the growth of the church? Well, these gifted people were responsible for the growth of the church. But for what reason? To equip. Preparation is part of of what we should all experience in the local church. Another way of saying this is every pastor is an interim pastor. I'm sure as Seth arrives, some of you have had different experiences with pastors in your life. And you probably have some expectations. That's normal, right? You have some expectations of what Seth is going to do. How he's going to use his time. How he's going to prioritize his time. And you have some, And he probably has some expectations of you as well. Hopefully you can come, come together with those expectations, Right? But Paul says that the pastor or the leaders of the church are there to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And so the first question that we have to wrestle with if we are part of God's church is how am I being equipped to build up Christ's church? How am I being developed? How am I being prepared? I don't know about you, but for me, this was not a question that I asked myself for much of my Christian life. I grew up in some great churches. We were very active in our church. But I don't know that I ever understood that the leaders were there to equip me for the ministry of the church. I thought we hired the pastor to do work. And I know that's true, too. And you have a contract that he'll sign, and there's a salary, and there's all kinds of other technical things there involved. There's a role for your pastor. But Paul says that the leaders are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You're probably familiar with the name Billy Graham, maybe one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Here in Latin America, Luis Palau, right? God used to bring many people to Jesus Christ. But people like Billy Graham and Luis Palau will never be enough to reach the world for Jesus They'll never be enough to make disciples of every nation like Jesus commands in Matthew 28 as he leaves his disciples, his last words, go and make disciples of every nation. And so the role of, of the leaders is to equip. Every church is in danger of of struggling when the leader leaves if everything depends on the leader for doing the work of the ministry. And so God didn't design his church that way. He designed it as something that we share. Every pastor is an interim pastor, whether you're there for nine months or two years or seven years or 40 years. I don't know how long Bill was here. I was recently in a, in a church in northern Germany, in Hamburg. The interim pastor had been there for seven years. He had not, so they didn't make any future plans. They kept thinking he was leaving. They'd find their pastor. It didn't happen. So they put off making plans for seven years. Uh, most times an interim pastor is there for a short period of time. But the point is that whether long or short, that's God designed his church so that we share the ministry and that's how it continues to grow and to be sustained over time so if every pastor is an interim pastor what is the other side of the coin the other side of the coin is that every member is a minister sometimes we call our pastors ministers but god's vision for his church is that all of us are ministers All of us who have placed our faith in Christ, Christ, all of us who belong to God's family, all of us who are part of the local church, as a result, are ministers. So there's preparation in the church and there's then participation. And that's why uh, Pareto's principle doesn't work. It's not God's intention for the local church. God intended that all of us share In the work of the ministry and what I think uh, challenges me and I hope it challenges you is that God sees far more potential in you than you probably see in yourself Paul uses a word here to describe the men and women who make up the church he calls them saints now, I lived in a country for 22 years that had a certain connotation of what a saint was. It was a special person who lived a particular kind of life and did some miraculous work. And they, they were people that were given the name saints. But Paul says we're all saints. God sent his son to this earth to become a man, to live a perfect life, to go to the cross Because we could never do enough to earn our salvation. Because we don't deserve salvation. Jesus died in our place so that death would not be the end for us. And that changes everything about our lives. It changes the way we look at ourselves because that's the way God looks at us. One day we'll experience the blessing of living in God's presence for eternity, in the meantime, we're already saints. We're already God's people here on this earth, those that God desires to fill and to use for his glory. So who's responsible for the growth of the church? Seth is, right? The deacons are, the small group leaders, the Sunday school teachers No, what's the answer? Who's responsible for the growth of the church? We all are. We're all responsible for the growth of the church. Carrie was asking me about the IBC. The IBC, next slide, maybe, yeah, 8,000. So on any given Sunday, there are 8,000 people worshiping the Lord in the English language in international Baptist churches. So I like to say, if you're part of the IBC, don't get a big head, you're only one in a million. We're not that many when it comes to the population on this Earth. However, next slide, three-quarters of the nations of the world meet on any given Sunday in our church, churches. So the impact is far greater than our numbers. God is bringing people of the world to into our churches, in places where the gospel is not welcome. Our churches are very diverse. Uh, Many of our churches in Europe started around military bases. They were highly American. But there's only six churches like that these days. The other 54 are quite diverse. The church that we served in Naples, Italy, it was about half Neapolitan Italian and half American from the Navy base up the road. But the majority of our IBC churches are very diverse. As we were coming into this role, Jackie and I were praying, Lord, help us not to spend all our time with Christians and not be able to make disciples. Now, we don't speak German yet. We did pass our B1 exam, but you know what that's like. You can pass an exam and still not be conversational. So we're working on it. We want to be able to talk to our neighbors. We want to be able to make disciples in Germany. But the Lord provided opportunities in our German class. There was a young man who came to me and asked me, can I come to church with you? I don't think we'd ever had a conversation. But you know how language school is, right? They make you talk about your life and things and people hear what's going on. And So then he said, well, what are you? Well, I don't like to say Baptist first thing because that's not always a positive for everybody, right? So anyway, long story short, God allowed us to have an opportunity with this couple to bring them into our church. They're not really connected yet but that, hopefully that'll happen. Jackie's language helper was a woman, a uh, former Muslim from Iraq, who toward the end of their time together was telling her, I'm reading about Esau. I'm reading the Arabic New Testament. We, they don't speak English together. They speak their little bit of German with Google Translate to help. But that's what the IBC is like, right? My language helper was from Myanmar, another place where the gospel is not welcome. So we have tremendous opportunity in our context. We have different roles, but we have a shared responsibility. We're all responsible for the growth of the church. You might say that some coach, but all play. Some equip, but all serve. And so that's God's design for his church. It's an intentional church. It's a relational church. It's an equipping church. One of the ways that I like to look at this, next slide please, is something that I came across somewhere. And that is that at any given time in a local church, you have some that are crawling, some that are walking, and some that are running. Right? When our babies come into the world, they don't come into the world and start running. They start crawling. And then sooner or later, they're walking, and then they're running. And in our context, sometimes that's frustrating because we have very transient churches. And you get somebody crawling and walking and running, and then you say goodbye. And that's discouraging. And so you may be equipping people that never minister in your church, but you send them off to bless another church. But that's part of God's design for his church. And I would like to think, and I, it's probably not going to ever happen, that we'd have IBC churches in every international city in the world and you'd go from one to the other and you could grow for a while in this one and you'd go grow for a while in another and you'd learn some things here that you could then take and use in another. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It happens sometimes. We have a girl from Costa Rica who ended up in Bonn, Germany and found another IBC church. So those are great God stories when when they happen. But regardless, regardless of how long your leaders are around or your people are around, the role of the church is to discover, develop, and deploy people for ministry, to build up Christ's church. The result that we're after, next slide, is maturity. Maturity. Uh, Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person. And this person that Paul is talking about is not an individual, but a corporate person. God's desire is that we grow corporately. Now, obviously, we grow individually, and that contributes to our corporate growth. But God's desire is that we all become more and more like Christ. And as that happens, our church becomes more and more mature. So how does that happen? Uh, one of the questions that we would ask through the years, we had a lot of first-generation Christians in our church, is do you wait until someone is ready and you see the characteristics to entrust them responsibility? Or do you give them responsibility, and then as they grow, you know, hopefully they prove that you were right to put your trust in them? Next slide, please. I think it's Both. We used to say, you can give away a lollipop, but you can't give it back. That's like a Neapolitan saying. It's, we're worried about people giving a big, getting a big head. If you give them a title, they're going to get a big head. They're going to be a jerk to work with. They're going to be bossy. right? So in, in order to make sure that we're all humble before we give a title away, we take forever to give those titles away. Sometimes we'd give a title away. We weren't quite sure it was time, but that person would develop. Right? So it's really a both end, isn't it? One of the challenges for leaders is we forget where we come from. I never envisioned this role for my life. I didn't envision me being a general secretary or a missionary or a pastor of a church when I was growing up in a church. And this is true of, of all kinds of ministry roles in the church. Recently, I heard uh, someone say, if you're still in the same role that you've been in for the last 10 years, you're in the wrong role. You should be mentoring someone else for the role. Because as we equip people, if we don't give them an opportunity to serve, then we, we inspire them, but to what purpose? To what end? 52 weeks a year, someone will preach in this pulpit, right? Not everyone needs to preach. That's not like the pinnacle of your Christianity that you preach. But if, if we don't allow new preachers to be developed, right, if we don't give opportunities, new worship leaders, new small group, other things, then we're not fulfilling God's desire for us as a church. And so participation leads to progress, and progress leads to more participation. That's the way that God designed it. God wants us to become the men and women that we can be, to be mature in the Lord, to be humble servant husbands of our wives and our family, to be godly wives and children and parents, right? That's what God wants for us, and he wants us to be effective in our ministry to each other, and that doesn't just happen without some kind of an intentional development process. We have to continually identify people, invest in them, and then unleash them for ministry. And so that's God's design for the life and longevity of the church. Next slide, please. It's a multi-generational focus. It's not just about you and me and the time that we'll be around. It's not just about our children. It's about our grandchildren or whoever else's grandchildren will be in this church someday. It's a widespread participation. Pareto, his law of distribution doesn't work in the local church. It shouldn't be true of the local church. And then his design for us is progress. Progress in our personal lives, progress as a church family, so that we impact society as our lives are transformed by the gospel, as marriages are saved, as people are saved out of their addictions, as people are rescued out of human slavery, as we just learn to treat each other the way we want to be treated, to love one another. God's work always outlasts us, but it never overlooks us. God has a role for each one of us to play. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe you don't even want to be here today. Maybe you're not even sure why you're here today. Or maybe you've been a part of this church for a while. Maybe you understand what Christ did for you in bringing you to salvation, but you haven't really found a role to play in this church. You're not even sure where to start. Maybe you're in leadership. God has given you a responsibility and a privilege to have a leadership role in this church. God desires to use each one of us to steward his church. And so let me leave you with this. God's work always requires three parts. Next slide, please. There's their part, there's God's part, and there's my part. How much are you and I responsible for their part? We're not. We're not responsible for their part. We can't change hearts. We can't uh, cause people to to obey or respond to the Lord. How much are we responsible for God's part? We're not responsible for that either. But the good news is he's 100% faithful. He will do his part. And so what's that leave? It just leaves my part. So simply do your part. What is God asking you today? Just do your part. He'll do his part. And he'll also work so that others do their part. I want to leave you with this prayer that challenges me. It comes from a book called Leadership Prayers. And it's about ownership. This is my one incessant prayer to you, hour by hour, day upon day, it's yours. I am not fighting this battle for you, God. It's your battle, and you are fighting for me. It's all yours, and I want whatever you have for me in this situation. So much depends on me, yet all I have for this task is whatever health and energy you give me. Feet, uh, eyes, ears, back, heart, lungs, knees, hands, feet, voice. I eat carefully, except when I go to the churrascaria. I rest. Hopefully enough exercise once in a while and think positive thoughts. And still this wretched lump of clay fails me. You have creator's rights on my body. You formed every miraculous part. What you take away is your business. I will do what I can with whatever physical capability you give me. It's yours. Yours is the kingdom, but we never seem to have enough resources. We're always lacking something our dreams mocking our reality, our vision dancing around our poverty. You own everything. And so what we need must seem small to you. Show me where to look for it, how to know it when I see it, how to get it, how to use it best, and especially how to be content with it. It's all yours. Time crawls relentlessly, mercilessly onward. The days end as the years end with never enough time for all the good that could be done, only just enough for your priorities if I get them right. You created time, and it does not limit you. But I do not have a thousand years today. God, I have only now. So this day is yours. I am yours. These people are yours. The resources are yours. The challenges we face are yours, as is anything we hope to accomplish. It's yours, God. It's not mine. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in drawing us to yourself through Jesus Christ. Thank you for opening our spiritual eyes to the gospel. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sin, to die in our place on the cross so that we could be restored to our creator and maker, to the God of the angel armies, the God of the universe. Lord, we find in you our purpose and our calling, our identity. We're made in your image. We're made to bring you glory. May you receive glory from our lives today. May we walk away today with an understanding of what you're asking us to do. And may we be ready to respond in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.